1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Sports, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I am your host, Paul Nepper, and today we'll be talking to Jeremy Bondari about his book, Trust the Grind, How World-Class Athletes Got to the Top. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. It is a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to chat with you. Great. I'm excited to have you. Um, I wonder if you could start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Ashland, Massachusetts, which is about 30 minutes outside of Boston Fenway Park area. So um, with that, grew up a big Sox fan, a big Patriots fan, a big Celtics fan, you name it, a big Bruins fan. And um, sports were always pretty prevalent in my life starting at a very young age. When I was about four or five years old, I would come down to eat Breakfast before heading off to preschool. And my mother would scatter out the Boston Globe in front of me and just while I ate, just give me something to do while I um, consumed my food. And she noticed each morning I kept flipping to the sports section every morning, come down, flip to the sports section, in baseball in particular, studying the standings, studying the league leaders, who was leading the league in homers, runs, RBI, strikeouts, whatever, you name it. And, um, so like I said, I'm around four or five years old at the time, but I was really interested and invested in, in statistics at a young age. So when it was time to choose my favorite player on my t-ball card, you know, everyone in the program being from the Boston area chose Pedro, chose Nomar, chose stars on the Boston Red Sox, the local team. But I went out and chose Alex Rodriguez, who at the time was a shortstop for the Texas Rangers. And here's, I don't know where Texas is on a map. I don't know anything about the Rangers. I just know I keep seeing his name atop the, the league leaders in home runs. Like I said, RBIs, batting average. At that point, when he was on the Rangers for that short stint, a couple of years, he was killing it. He was the best player in the league. So I knew, hey, I want him to be my favorite player. So I was the only one in the program to do it. So at a very young age, my mom was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. You know, he really, he's not just, it's not just to put in front of him while he eats. He's really absorbing the content. And as I got older, in elementary school, I started writing fictionalized baseball stories. And uh, it just the, the adoration for sports just continued to maturate as I got older. Right. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for this book? Sure. So um, to fast forward, I went off to college at UMass Amherst, which was about an hour and a half from, from where I grew up. So it was nice to To stay in the area somewhat. So I went there and and during my senior year at UMass, I actually was blessed with an opportunity to, uh, I was a little ahead in credits. And so I was blessed to be able to be flexible with my schedule. And one day I was just perusing the internet, perusing UMass website to see what kind of courses I could take for my senior year. I wanted it to be pretty light. And I found this internship uh, sports blogging internship. And I was like, mm, I've always liked sports. Um, you know, why not try to write about them, especially if it's going towards my undergraduate degree? Why not? So I, um, I signed up, I, I looked into it, got all the right paperwork, signatures, and I just, it was similar to a typical uh, curriculum. I had to write about three or four articles a week, attend, attend weekly meetings, contribute to those, uh, offer ideas, suggestions things of that nature. And like I said, the the main focus was was generating content. So three to four articles a week. And uh, for the first time, I had my own voice. I had my own voice as a writer. I had my own voice as a creative. And I really, really enjoyed it. So I um, would write about MLB, NBA, NFL, college basketball, college football, whatever. I just, whatever season it was, I was attacking it and uh, absorbing, developing the best content I possibly could. So After my graduation, I saw a job open up as a for at ESPN for a sports researcher, which I was like, you know, I always grew up watching ESPN before I went off to school every morning and watching the top ten sports center, all the shows. Why not throw my name in just like anyone else would? So I threw my name in and got an email back saying, Hey, we'd like to we'd like to speak with you and about the role. And so I said, Of course. And long story short, about five phone interviews and two in-person evaluations and a sports test online that I had to take. And I was given the job. It boiled down to 166 applicants and they chose me. So it was like this dream job, dream come true. And it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. So packed my bags, moved down to Charlotte and was stationed down there at the SEC network location. So here I am a month out of college and I'm, I'm creating content for ESPN. that's going right up on the TV. I'm, I'm working hand in hand with individuals who are working on ESPN.com articles or people from the Longhorn Network in Texas or Sports Center in Los Angeles, you know, attending weekly meetings, pitching ideas in the, in the content group to just to, to see where it can go. And I loved it. I loved every day. But as you know, at ESPN it's heavy numbers based. It's heavy stats. It's heavy accolades. Let's use these athletes and only focus in on the numbers, numbers, numbers about why they're great. And especially when you're a researcher, that's your main priority. Your main prerogative is to generate content around stats. So, um, I kind of got, uh, I don't, the word bored. it's not the right word, but I kind of got, um, just tired of, of number crunching. So I thought, Hey, there's so many, there's so much more to these men and women than just the box score. Well, why not we just touch on something else? There's got to be something else I can do with this sports knowledge that, um, that inspire. So that I just start the, the ideas start churning in my head. I'm during my off time. I'm I'm getting a coffee and I'm thinking, you know, what can I do? Can I inspire? Can I teach? Okay, uh, what? You know what? You know what's crazy about sports is that you can't know someone in the Yankees organization and then just because you're in their network, be the shortstop. So I said, you know what? No one knows what it's like to be successful better than professional athletes. So with that notion in mind, I thought, hey, what if we just, what if I interviewed some stars, see what I can do and just ask them how they reach the top, how they reach the pinnacle of their profession so that uh, the next generation can as well. I thought, you know, what would Jeremy Obama when he was 10, 11, 12 years old? Oh, why not a success habit blueprint from some of his heroes? And that's what we did with Trust the Grind.
1: Right. And and could you just kind of briefly state for our listeners um, sort of the format for the book, how you design the chapters?
2: Yeah. So I kind of came up with it was a little bit of a little preparation, and a little bit of letting it play out. So I had ideas like I knew. So basically the the project is boiled down to 13, 16 world-class athletes divided into 13 chapters, which each chapter represents a productive tendency. So for example, one chapter is goal setting, another self-discipline, another about uh, staying active and eating right, another about obsessing over your craft, developing your passions, et cetera. So I had a couple ideas in mind, like I knew I wanted to touch on goal setting. I knew I wanted to touch on self-discipline. These are habits that no matter what walk of life, they are beneficial for you and they will aid you as you aspire to be great. They will assist you. So uh, I had a couple things down and then, and then certain conversations I would have, they just fl- they flowed naturally. And then and, and I was able to kind of cultivate a new tendency around it, like a positive thinking, a self-confidence, uh, being yourself, things of that nature. So it was a little bit of preparation, but Each chapter, like I said, is broken down by a success habit, by something that these men and women harped on that they believe helped them reach the top.
1: And as you mentioned, you you interviewed 16 world-class athletes, um, people that, uh, you know, really people that were at the top of their profession. Um, How did you settle on those 16 athletes to, to interview and to feature in your book?
2: yeah I think uh, my biggest thing was how can we when you're first starting out you want to be as diverse as possible so you can reach you can expand your audience right that was that was my main goal so is I don't have an established uh, writing career yet at the moment and so I thought, you know what's the best way to do it you know if we're gonna do something about athletes, if we're doing something about sports why not just touch on all of them? So I just, I, my main goal was to get as many, po- many sports as possible. And we, we ended up getting 11 different arenas. So, so it's 16 athletes, but it's from 11 different sports. So that was my biggest thing. As far as the actual names in the project, I knew, uh, for the big four sports, for example, I knew I wanted to get a hall of famer in each. So it would, uh, add to the credibility of course, of the project, but also so it would age well. Cause these, once you're, once you're in the Hall of Fame in your sport, you're essentially immortal. So, we did that. We got Chipper Jones, we got Jason Kidd, we got Mike Madonna, we got To, and then um, we got GSP, who's who's also in the Hall, the UFC Hall of Fame, and then Manny Pacquiao. So, I just wanted legends across the board. That's what we that's what we uh, sought after, and, and luckily we were able to make that happen.
1: Right. Um. So you mentioned, you know, a number of the. When you're talking about the chapters you mentioned a number of the traits that that make athletes successful um one thing that came up a number of times in your books that in your book that um that i think doesn't immediately come to people's minds when thinking about successful athletes is the act of writing things down i found that very interesting um chipper jones wrote down his goals uh jason kidd emphasized keeping uh, a regular diary Um, and you expanded on that too, with some research. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that idea of writing things down.
2: Yeah. I just thought it was so interesting when I was talking to Jason Kidd. you mentioned him, for example, where, you know, we're touching on self-discipline in the beginning of the conversation, he's breaking down, you know, the thousands of shots a day and the dribbling with two balls, watching film, et cetera, all the basketball practices that will help you elevate your game. And then, then he went on to state the, uh, Hey, when I first went to, Phoenix Suns, I uh I started using a diary. And I'm like, whoa, 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 expand on that. That's very interesting. What what do you mean? Because usually people don't really talk about writing stuff down. So I was like, you know, continue. So then he just mentioned, you know, I wrote down my goals. I wrote down when I was playing at a high level, the people I was surrounding myself with, the foods I was eating, was I napping? Uh was I absorbing beneficial content on the TVs, or was it mindless, right? So He's just making sure to to write things down and identifying, uh, making it more clear so then when he is playing bad or when he isn't getting the results he's wanted, he goes back and he looks, he goes back to the pages, oh, when I was playing at a high level, this is what I was doing, these are the people I was around, this is the food I was eating, I was napping at this time, and, and things like that. So it makes a lot of sense, right? When, when you really identify and write things down, it just becomes more clear to, to not only um, the, the sport or whatever, but just your entire lifestyle. And, uh, it's like a recipe. So uh, when you're cooking and you stick to a recipe and then it comes out of the oven when it's finished, it's, and it looks, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's no surprise because you're sticking to an exact formula that is proven to work. So when you write stuff down and write down your goals, then you also write down how you're going to, how you're going to reach them. Right? So it's like a treasure map. If you identify what the X is at the end of the map, You just got to reverse engineer it. And when you write it down, it becomes more clear and and you're more likely to stay focused, stay locked in on it when you can physically see it. So it just makes a lot of sense when you, when you break it down. And it was so great to, to hear that from, from a hall of fame athlete like Jason Kidd.
1: Yeah. As I I said, I I found that very interesting. Um, another, another aspect of the book that I, I found interesting was, um, you know, so there were a few athletes who talked about mental preparation. Um, a couple athletes talked about visualization. You know, uh, I think it was Tim Hudson visualized his pitches yep. where they were going to land. Um, of course, more and more athletes you hear in the news are are, are engaging in meditation, mindfulness practice, that type of thing. Um, I recall in the Luis Gonzalez chapter, by the way, that was tough for me because um, I'm a big Yankees fan. So uh. that uh, game seven <laughs> of the 2001 World Series was not not fun. But uh, we hey, we won four World Series, so I can't complain. Um, but I, I wonder if you could tell, uh, in that chapter, you know, Gonzalez talks, and you talk, you expand upon the idea of coming to terms with failure. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about I guess what you learned from talking to these athletes about mental preparation.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I'm glad you touched on Tim Hudson. I, the, the biggest thing when I spoke to Mike Madonna, it was cool because, uh, he's talking about, Hey, before every game I'm, uh, I'm sitting lying down in my bed and for at least 30 minutes I'm visualizing I'm visualizing where I want to be on the ice I'm visualizing the goalie's weakness that I'm playing on that particular night I'm visualizing myself making great passes I'm visualizing my shot go past the goalie into the net my celebration uh so then when I go out there it I've already seen it I've already played it's already played out in my head I already know what's gonna happen I can already control it so Confidence, it's, it comes with a lot of physical preparation, and Mike touched on the routine he established in the offseason to, to make sure his game was was at the highest level it possibly could, but but a, a deep, a deep part of self-confidence is the mental preparation, is setting aside time to visualize and project positive outcomes, and the same thing went with Tim Hudson. He's visualizing the night before his start, him throwing pitches by the, the big hitters and swing and misses and just you know, getting his pitch, getting his curve to break and the fastball and zoom in or whatever. So um, visualization was so prevalent to, to each and one of their stories. And then Luis Gonzalez, of course, it's funny you mentioned that because he uh, not many people know this, but he had failed miserably, not just failed against Mariano Rivera every time he had faced him, but failed miserably, like never made solid contact uh, the, the five previous times he had stepped to the plate against him. So, You'd think, you know, if I failed something five times miserably, not even show a link of link of of promise. That man, the sixth time, it's probably gonna go the same way. But it's not about that. All of these men and women dealt with failure. They all just they all brush it off so quickly. And I think that's such a vital, uh, vital trait that everyone should should really adopt because it's failure is just a word. It's not it doesn't mean anything. It just means success at a later date. So. Uh, and that's how he he took it, and that's how he was able to um, stay locked in, focused, and deep breaths, and and you know, win the World Series. No one even remembers. I'm probably the only person that knows he was zero for five against Mariano Rivera before that walk off hits. Now it's one of the most legendary moments, um, not only in Diamondbacks history but but baseball history.
1: Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the chapter on Gary Player, um, and yeah. I'm not a big golf fan, but I. I, uh, I I saw a show on him many years ago. I, I think it was HBO's Real Sports that um, okay. talked about his exercise regimen, and I found it remarkable. And, of course, you talked about that as well. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Gary Player's dedication to, to working out and the role that played in his success?
2: Yeah, so to for those who don't know, golf back when Gary was first starting out, what, um, shied away from any sort of fitness, not, it wasn't even a thought to pick up a weight to get better. It was actually considered detrimental to your golf abilities. If you partook in any sort of muscle training, any sort of fitness regimen. So at this point, nobody in the game was even thinking to, to pick up a weight, to squat. And here's Gary player who burst onto the scene. And that was, what he built his name around. I'm gonna bring fitness to the game. I'm gonna be a pioneer. I'm gonna set a precedent in the golf world and show you guys hey, no, you got it all wrong. If you, if, the more you exercise, number one, physically, you're gonna have a huge advantage. I'm not gonna get as tired. And then if you eat the right foods in the kitchen, I'm my mental strength too. So it's like the physical edge, the mental edge, he had it. And that's why you look up and he was able to have like a 50 plus year career. Because he took such good care of his body. And, you know, he was telling me he was squatting 300 something pounds ahead of the 1965 US Open. And you're like, what? It doesn't even seem plausible. And then, and you see he's continuing, he's playing into the 2000s, his storied career, and he's winning, won the Grand Slam. And he, um, he really just harped on the importance of not only the physical, uh, physical advantages that that weightlifting give you and the physical advantages that eating clean give you. But just a mental edge, you have the clarity, the clearness and health is wealth. And that's what he kept saying. Health is wealth. And if you don't have your mind right, you have nothing. And he made sure to really focus in and take care of his body throughout his career. And, And this is for the listeners out there. This guy is, I think, 83, 84 years old. He's still waking up every day Jacking up the treadmill to ten miles per hour and sprinting on it. So if that doesn't motivate you, I'm not sure what will.
1: Yeah, it's. A, I mean, he's incredible. You said he's 83 now. I mean, I, 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 I want to say that th- the piece I saw on him was maybe 10 years ago, and yeah. I, I, it was remarkable what he, just that the speed at which he was running on the treadmill, and to think that he's still doing that at 83 is just, is just phenomenal. I mean, good for, good for you, Gary Player. <laughs> um, one of the nice things in the book, uh, I guess you could call it a theme that I found was the importance of the importance of staying true to yourself and following your passion. And I think two chapters, as I'm thinking now, two chapters, um, in particular, that really jumps out of me. One is the Ryan Sheckler chapter and Jimmy Johnson as well. Both kind of talk about, um, either, you know, being yourself, finding yourself who you are, and and staying true to that sense of self and that passion. Can you share some of the things you learned about being who you are and the role that plays in success?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people, Paul, in life they, they struggle because they, they haven't identified where they want to go. They haven't identified what really brings them life. And uh fortunately for the two athletes you name, they found at a very young age. But how did they find it? So Ryan Sheckler, he was just started skating, you know, the other kids in the neighborhood were skating and he, he just loved, uh, the act of it, the act of it, it brought him life. And then on the other hand, Jimmy Johnson, he got on a bike at five or six years old and he loved the thrill. He loved that feeling of, of going fast and that's like, Hey, I got to do that. So, um, they found at a very young age, they identified what they wanted to do. And, um, and it was all driven from a way, the way it made them feel. So, for people out there who oh, I don't know my passions how do I find them just you know grab a journal look at yourself for a week and, and, and just write down what made you feel good what what kind of, is it certain music that you like write down whatever it is that makes you feel good and that'll help you it'll clear things up it'll help you get toward closer towards that goal of, of finding out who you, your true self and, and then as you see they identify it and then you see the benefits that come from following and developing what you love. And, and Ryan sheckler was able to have a, uh, a professional skating career and it opened so many doors, these big charities, um, a reality TV show. And the same thing with Jimmy. He was able to, I, I want to go fast. I love being on the bike. How can I do this for a living? Right. And then he, so he continues to go go karting or whatnot. And then he gets up to eventually to NASCAR and wins. uh It's funny, you think about Jimmy. I remember talking to him and he was saying, man, I just, my goals, my dreams can only take me as far as I just want to be here and for a living. I don't, and then you see he's won five straight championships. So, uh, um, yeah. don't be afraid to set the bar high. And, uh, but, but you see when you do read the project, you see when they, um, when you do develop your passions, the giant massive reward that you get to it. Cause not only, uh, from a lucrative standpoint, of course, but, but also just personally, how it makes you feel. it's all about how we feel at the end of the day, it's all about how we feel and that's what can bring us the most happiness and and, and truthfully, when, when you follow your passions and do do what you love, you will, in the long run you, you that's how you'll attain the most happiness. so that's what they were able to do and like like I said, what, when you do develop those passions and stick true to them through failure through through adversity, um, it opens up doors that you could never even imagine and that's what happened with both of them.
0: slash NBN fifty to get fifty percent off.
1: Another nice little twist I I, I enjoy in the book was um page van Z- both Paige Van Zandt and is it George's St. Pierre? Is that how you Just pronounce George. It? Yeah. George. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I don't know a lot about UFC. Um yeah. but uh Paige Van Zandt and George St. Pierre were both bullied as kids. Yeah. And um you know, they talked about how they kind of took those experiences and and channeled them into into a healthy pursuit. Um, and I think you know that that's potentially a wonderful example for kids who are struggling. It, it it almost it seems kind of natural that to to channel it into fighting, but I think you can you can channel it into you know the frustration um, into many other positive. Uh, experiences as well. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, about their experiences with being bullied.
2: Yeah, I think uh, what would help them stand out not only as world-class competitors, but just as individuals was taking some taking a negative and flipping it to a positive, right? They, you mentioned they had both gotten bullied at, when they were younger in their youth. And what do they do? Do they cry about it? Did they, they say, Well, woe is me? No, they took, How can I, how can this stop? What can I do so this doesn't ever happen again? And that's the outlook you need, no matter if it's getting bullied or, or if you're broke or whatever it is, whatever negative in your life, you gotta always think, How can I flip this to a positive? What can I do? What can I control in my life um, that'll, that'll get rid of this, that, that'll neglect all, all the negative and, and just project. Positivity. So um like both of them, they started out at a young age with martial arts or dancing, whatever it was, what Paige with dancing and then martial arts. But um they got into it and they can like I said they controlled what they controlled. So they just continued to get better and better and better in martial arts. And uh, one thing about Paige that I really enjoyed was just uh the fact that she's a massive follow on on instagram across social media and she's been in this the swimsuit modeling and and all that stuff and she's talking about the negatives of of, uh social media and and how it can really derail someone's career and derail someone's state of mind so it's just so cool to to have a prominent female athlete like herself touching on those those subjects and really expressing hey you know you see me on on the the gram and you see me on, on facebook twitter it's it's not really it doesn't really give a accurate depiction of really who I really am and um I really enjoyed that that part and then going off to GSP um like you said it stemmed from bullying how he got into fighting but then it became this obsessiveness to be great and he was willing to go what he was willing to do whatever it took to be the greatest version of himself and it's heavily inspiring when you when you read some of the things he did driving across driving into America from Montreal in a beat up car, doesn't know the language, driving around New York. Uh, if he can't ask for directions, like I said, he doesn't know English well at this time. But he's obsessed. He's coming down here to train jiu-jitsu because it's a prominent location to um, get that get the proper training. And why is he doing it? Because he's obsessed. He wants to be the best version of himself. And uh, it's no surprise for those who aren't fluent in, in UFC history. He's he's like the LeBron James of of the UFC. He's, he's one of the best ever. And he's just so talented and it just it stems from a, a serious, serious obsession over his craft.
1: Um one of the many enjoyable aspects of reading your book, Jeremy, uh, is learning is learning the backstories of a lot of these athletes. Um, you know, Paige Van Zant and and GSP I, I didn't really know much about at all. But even athletes that I know about, um, say Terrell Owens and uh and his childhood with his strict grandmother and um and one that certainly jumped out at me was manny pacquiao and some of the hardships that he grew up with i mean his his story is Ooh. fascinating and and uh i really enjoyed reading about that I, of course the one thing in particular that that his father uh killed a family dog and and fed it to them you know for dinner was just i mean that's the kind of thing yeah. you read and just your jaw drops open right. um so i wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh Manny Pacquiao's his his background and his journey
2: yeah it was just um i didn't know what to expect i was so nervous talking to um someone of his stature and you know this is one of the best boxers of all time and he was just so and I was of course reading up on him and doing the research diving into the background i'm like oh my god I had no idea i thought I heard it was you know rough but I didn't know how bad the circumstances were when he was coming up to and to see him flourish to see him um go down in history as one of the greatest and to still do it is just so I have such a deep appreciation after after what I was able to read and stumble upon but um yeah it's just someone who who lives very simple and and just talks about, you know, it's um, it's just because uh, just it's a negative right now doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. And just always focused. And he got into boxing just because he wanted to take care of his family. It started with that. He identified what he wanted to do, and one of the best work ethics in the game. I mean, he just no matter didn't care about the living space, didn't care about the particular circumstance. It was all about how can I put food, how can I put food and money on the table for for my family, and and how can we, how can I be the guy how can I be the one to get them out, to bring us out? And um, if I have to train, you know, if, if I have to work a minimum wage job and then train all night, I'll do it, whatever it takes. And uh, just so inspiring to to hear that kind of uh, information. And like you said, the backstory behind the greatness. And, and for Manny, Manny, he just comes from such a crazy background, and a crazy upbringing. And to see the heights that he reached is just, heavily inspiring for for any reader out there who who touches on it um just just so great and then when he does reach the uh millions and hundreds of millions of dollars he's still giving back he's still doing whatever he can for his country you know he's he's in office he, he runs he's a senator i mean he he uh man he, his whole story is very inspiring but at the end of the day it stems from uh Just wanting to take care of his family and just when you identify that that reason why it'll it'll really help you and when you when you do face the trials and tribulations. So just identifying, having a clear sight as to why you're doing it, because there are going to be hardships, there are gonna be tough days, you are gonna get knocked down. But if you always have a reason for why you're doing what you're doing, uh you'll never fail in the long run. Obviously, a great deal
1: of of a great deal of the success of professional athletes is is attributed to nat- natural gifts, right? I mean, I could all the attributes in your book, and they're fantastic, but I could have all of them, and, and I can't jump like LeBron James. <laughs> um, but as you, as you, uh, so well demonstrate it through your book, there is so much more to it, right? There are a lot of there are there are a lot of people who are physically talented enough to play professional sports that don't have the drive, the discipline the the confidence, the you know, many other qualities that you discuss in the book. Um but I'm wondering what you think how much do you think those traits that you cover in the book, you know, traits like passion and drive and discipline and optimism, how much of you, of that do you think is is hardwired in people? That that you're just kind of born that way? That's you, that's your your character and and that's it. And how much do you think of that
2: um can be worked on and improved upon? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, personally, in my opinion is that it starts in the first eight or so years of your life. That's when your subconscious is kind of uh, programmed, so to say. So with that, you're obviously very young. You're not making decisions on your own. You have family. So a lot of these people came from, from a strong background, a strong family background, family-oriented. Background and they were there was a lot of benefits. There was people, you know, parents willing to take them to practices and exposing them to. Let's just take Jason Kidd for example. I mean, he didn't just play basketball; he played all the sports, soccer and whatnot. But he had parents who were willing to just expose him to different sports, willing to uh, drive or take trips to Kansas to to get him better basketball, better talent around him. So. He surrounded himself with with the right people. And um, sticking on Jason Kidd, he was able to, you know, you mentioned kind of like how much is the passion and drive. And the one thing all 16 of them took was action. I mean, that's, that's you can think about, uh, if we take a mountain, for example, you can think about climbing the mountain and you can write down, I'm going to go to the top of the mountain and you can visualize you're going to go to the top of the mountain, but you can, it's one thing to do all that. Then it's another to actually start climbing, and then skid off and slide, and then and then keep going and going, and going until you reach it. And they all took action, but but when you do take action, it does help to do the things we touched on, and it does help to surround yourself with the right people, which is something that Jason Kidd did. And uh, and when he got to high school, he wasn't afraid to to even surround himself with those who were better than him. Imagine, um, you know, flashback to the nineties, he was like the attention was crazy on him. They had to switch arenas in certain games that he his high school team played because he was such a big draw. They couldn't play at the local high school. They had to go to and play at a college stadium. So um, he's winning state championships. They're moving arenas just be, just to see him play. And everyone, thousands of kids are wearing his jersey. He's a 16, 17-year-old kid. And, and in the summer, leading up to his senior year of high school, he gets to practice with Gary Payton, a, a budding superstar for the Seattle Supersonics. And and Gary from the Bay Area comes back and doesn't let Jason score one basket the first day, talking trash, talking smack. You ain't this. You know. You ain't in the league. All this. Jason goes home to his parents and I'm done. Like I cried. He said he cried. He went home and cried. And, and they said, no, you're going back out there. You're, you're going to get better being around those type of people, being around people that are better than you only elevate your, your game. You just wait and see. And he goes back, you know, eventually it's one basket here, another here, another here. And then uh, you look up now and uh, Jason Kidd did things that only Magic Johnson did on the court. So um, just just you can have you can develop the passions. You can self-confidence, drive, discipline. um, But it starts with taking action. And it starts with, with not being afraid to fail. And those are the two biggest things that these, these men and women took action and they weren't afraid to fail and they woke up every day with a purpose. So um, when you do those, you, you really you can really become dangerous because um, we only run into trouble in life when, when we give up. So all of these men and women did not give up and they refused to back down from any challenges and they did whatever it took to reach their goals.
1: I uh, I like to ask, ask my guests this question because I I know how difficult it is to write a book. Um, I mean, these things are beasts. Uh, I've written one myself. I've I've spoken with so many who have, and I know uh, what a process it is. So I'd like to ask you, Jeremy, what, what was the hardest part about writing this book?
2: Hmm. The hardest part. I would say just having it in I started out like I said, it's a success habit blueprint, but I wanted it, to ha- formulating it into a book form, if that makes sense, was probably the hardest part. Uh, getting the interviews and scripting each chapter what wasn't hard, and because we centered, we had a clear vision and idea of what particular tendencies we wanted to touch on, and, and so getting that down, but just formulating it into particular chapters and making sure this conversation goes here and stuff like that, so it flows naturally, um, is something that I was new to. I had written, I had blogged about sports. I had hundreds of articles already published, um, just singularized sports takes, but nothing like a a literal project. It's kind of like having some songs out and then you're ready to do your first album. And that's so when you do an album, you want it to flow naturally. So I think that the most difficult part was making sure that it it flowed naturally, like um, in book form rather than a, a blueprint.
1: You mentioned you had, you know, you had some ideas in your head of, of the kind of, I guess, traits, characters, qualities, whatever it is that that you were going to focus on. Throughout the course of your interviews, what, was was there a, a certain quality um, or activity or something that came up uh, or came up once or repeatedly as, as um, you know as being significant in somebody's success that you hadn't thought of before hadn't planned on including that kind of surprised you
2: i think the biggest constant was uh the ultra focus if i were to uh, stamp a motif on it the the ultra focus of each and every one of them each all 16 Mm -hmm. of them that i talked to uh like with the chipper jones chapter you know we touch on he talked about short-term goals and long-term goals season goals but but the one thing that stood out was that, hey, every time I'm going to the ballpark, I'm just trying to be a tough at bat. Each time I step up to that plate, I'm trying to be a tough at bat, and it's really a great analogy for life. Is just I'm just trying to focus in on the present moment and doing what I can. And if I stick to that idea in five, ten, I don't have to worry about my goals in five years. And if I stick to being present in the in the in the moment, I'll. F- I'll succeed and, and I'll succeed now and I'll succeed in the long run. So I think uh, each and every one of them were so locked in on the present moment. And you see like just going over their careers and the gaudy statistics, but they weren't focused on five years, 10 years on the line. It was all about showing up that day. And, and I, number one, identifying what you're trying to do. All of them clearly knew, Hey, I want to be a boxer. Hey, I want to be a fighter. Hey, I want to be a basketball player. They knew what they wanted to do. And when they woke up every day, they were there, they were present. And a lot of people struggle with that. And, uh, there's a lot that comes up in life, right? Whether it's just external things or or internally, we, we get sidetracked, but, but if you can, you know, take deep breaths and stay focused on the task at hand and set and wake up every day with a clear vision, a clear purpose. And even if you have to write it down or, or say it out loud when you wake up, um, you'll be at a significantly higher advantage than the person next to you. If, if you're willing to wake up every day and identify what you're co- trying to accomplish that day, don't worry about 10 years down the line, 10 weeks, what, 20 years. It doesn't matter. All that matters is you being present in that moment. Number one, you'll be more happy, but number two, you will be more successful in the long run. And, and each and every one of them, that's what kept coming up was just saying, focus on that game. Like I talk about, you know, Jason Kidd, you, did things that only magic did. And even when you got late in your career, you know, the Mavericks won the title, you upset the heat, you led the team and assists and steals, man, you were 37, all this stuff. I can't believe it, you know, but it's all about every day you show up to the court, you know, you're focused on that moment. You're not focused on anything else. And when you stay locked in on the present moment, the rest will play out how it should.
0: Right.
1: Um well Jeremy I've taken enough for, taken up a, enough of your time um so I'm going to let you go but I want to ask you one last question that I I like to ask um what is your all-time favorite sports book
2: Wow um hmm my all-time favorite sports book That's such a good question um you know, when I was a kid, I really liked the Matt Christopher books. They were like, on oh, with yeah, with, at bat with, you know, I read the Ken Griffey Jr. One each Hero, Derek Derek Cuter. Those are my my heroes growing up. Uh, I also love the Dan Gutman books. The Shoeless Joe and me, babe and me when I was a kid. It was another great series. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the favorite one. Oh, you know what I really love is my, my favorite all time book is probably Eight Men Out. It's the story on the 1919 Black Sox. And mm-hmm. it is so, I think it was written probably 50 years ago and you read it, you, look, you can listen to it on Audible. It feels like you're in, it feels like you're literally in the courtroom or at the World Series in 1919. It's, it is so well written and the author does such a fantastic job of vividly explaining what's going on in the scenery and, and how each and every man, each men and, and the gambler and, and what they did and Shoeless Joe and man it is fascinating so so i would have to say eight men out all right cool I'll have to, I to. i've seen the movie eight men out which was out
1: i don't know maybe in, in the 90s but mm-hmm. uh i haven't i haven't read the book better. i'll have to check that out yeah absolutely yeah i believe it um all right well jeremy bandari once again thank you so much for being on the podcast uh once again um jeremy's book is called trust the grind how world-class athletes got to the top uh really lays out the blueprint for success for for young people who uh you know are interested in in pursuing a career in sports or i mean the the skills the the attributes are really transferable to just about any profession in life i would say so it's it's really a great a great blueprint for life um so nice work jeremy and, and thanks
2: again for coming on thank you so much paul it's been a pleasure and um trust the grind That's right.